verses 22 to 32. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 32. And if you have it, if you could please stand. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, the passage is going to be on the screen. Let me read it, if you can follow along. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. I pray that as we hear this word, that you would open up our hearts and our ears to really understand what it means to encounter you. I pray that through this really famous passage of uh, just a strange but interesting but wonderful encountering of you, that you would help us to apply it in our own lives, that you would help us to focus, and that you would really uh, even prepare my heart so that I could speak your words truthfully and openly. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Today's sermon title is called Encountering God. Encountering God. In 1961, um, the Soviet Union sent the first astronaut into space. It was a historic moment. He orbited uh, the planet, came down safely, and when he returned, the Soviet leader at that time, his name was Nikita Khrushchev, defiantly declared that his astronaut returned from outer space and had not found God. He was proud of that fact. At that time, a a New York magazine asked C.S. Lewis to respond to this claim. At that time, people knew that C.S. Lewis was a very famous apologist and and a very famous Christian. And C.S. Lewis ended up writing this essay in this magazine, and and his response was quite brilliant. Because C.S. Lewis wrote this, he said, Looking for God by exploring space is like reading all of Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you will find Shakespeare as a character. It's not that he is not there, but that he is present at every moment in every play. Lewis goes on to say, To some, God is discoverable everywhere. To others, nowhere. Those who do not find him on earth are unlikely to find him in space. But send up a saint in a spaceship, and he'll find God in space as he found God on earth. Much depends on the seeing eye. You see, this question of how to find God has been with us for almost the longest of times. 
This question is not easy. And you see, the reason it's not easy is because the one place that we can find answers is only in the Bible. In this passage, we have this famous and fantastical story of a man named Jacob who encounters God. And he not only encounters God, but it says he wrestles with him. Now, what we're going to do is, as we look in this passage, we're going to see not only how Jacob encountered God, but how we can encounter God ourselves. We're going to see not only how Jacob found God, and not only how God found Jacob, but how we can find God ourselves. You see, in the beginning of this story here, we're starting right at the climax, actually. But what we have to know is that for Jacob, this man here, he is known as someone who has deceived other people. He had tricked his brother Esau, and he had tricked his father Isaac so that he could receive the blessing of the birthright. He could receive the blessing of inheritance. And so for Jacob, he had run away from home but finally here, after all of this time running, he decides to meet Esau again. And it's scary because Esau had promised that if he ever saw Jacob again, that he would kill him. And so Jacob was preparing for that. And so as he was preparing for that, as he was getting himself ready, the night before he goes off to meet Esau, Jacob has an encounter with God, and it changes his entire life. You see, it's to the point where it's not only his name that changes, it's his entire identity that changes. Because in this passage, it says, you are no longer called Jacob. And from that point on, he was never referred to as Jacob. His name was Israel. And so what I want to do is just look at this passage, and I want to explore three things about Jacob's encounter with God. Number one, Jacob's encounter with God is by himself. Number two, Jacob's encounter with God involves wrestling. And number three, Jacob's encounter with God was through losing. Okay? Now first, Jacob's encounter with God was by himself. Verse 24 says this, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. You see, the day before Jacob was to meet Esau, he sends his family away, and he begins to reflect, to think about what was going to happen, and to pray. In the beginning of this chapter, we even see the beginning parts of Jacob's prayer to God. And it's when he's by himself that God comes down. My first point is this, is that encountering God is personal. Encountering God happens one on one. Now, before I go into this point, I'm not trying to say anything against community. Look, other brothers and sisters are vital to our relationship with God in terms of how we can grow in the, 
and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit and all of these different things. Community is vital. It is biblical. It is a core value. It is good. Here's what I'm saying. For many of us, we have grown up in the church and we've enjoyed it. For many of us, we have known the people for a long time. We have been moved by the service. We have loved hearing the sermons. And we've even had some of the songs make us cry. And then something changes. Maybe the church breaks apart. Maybe we end up moving away. Maybe we get in a fight with someone. And when we move to that new place, when we go to somewhere different, that God who was so real to us before suddenly becomes very unreal to us. That God who was so tangible, who we felt before, all of a sudden, he just isn't real to us anymore. What happened? Well, let me give you another scenario. For a lot of us, we've been in moments of crisis, and there's been people we know who have been in such difficult, dire straits. And it was in that moment that they were brought to church, and they were felt so welcome and so loved. Those people hear testimonies, and they believe them, and they're all gung-ho, they're all ready for the Lord, everything's good. And then something changes. Maybe that friend moves away, or maybe they get into an argument with someone at church. And when things begin to fall apart, God stops being real for them. They stop praying, they stop worshiping, and they revert back to when they stop going to church at all. What happened? Look, it's possible to grow up in the church, to listen to other people, and never meet God yourself. It's possible to be a pastor's kid, it's possible to be on the praise team, it's possible to be moved to tears by people in the church, and yet not have your own personal relationship with God. For a lot of us, we can try to live off of other people's encounters with God. But there are going to be times when we are all alone. And those are the times when it's going to be a make or break moment for us. There are times when God will purposely remove us from everything that we are comfortable with in order to show us that we cannot stand on our own. And the reason he does this is because we think that we are standing with God. And he's trying to explain this, that another's, another person's faith isn't going to save us. And is not going to keep us afloat in the most difficult times of our lives. When everything, when everything is falling apart, it's just going to be you and God. There's not going to be anyone else there. In the book of Ezekiel, you see the nation of Judah had broken apart. 
And their one response should have been to turn back and repent and cry out to God. And yet, instead of crying out to God, instead of asking for forgiveness, instead of looking to the Lord themselves, they were simply waiting for another prophet to save them. They were hoping that they could live the way they want, that they could do what they wanted to do, and still be protected by someone more faithful than them. They were hoping that the prayers of the prophets would be able to save their own prayer life. But God tells them the truth in Ezekiel 14, 14. And he says this interesting thing. He says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job came down right now, it would not save you. You see, what God was explaining is that borrowed faith is not real faith at all. Noah was the most faithful man during his time. And yet he could not save the world from drowning. Job was a righteous man unlike any other. And yet he could not save his own children. Daniel was a righteous man before God. And yet he could not prevent his own captivity and the captivity of his people from another nation. God is warning us and he is pleading with us to not be content with someone else's faith. He is telling us, look, don't rely upon the intercessory prayer of others to save your own soul. Don't rely upon the, um, upon the ambiance and the atmosphere and the music and the preaching and the other words from other people. It's about your relationship with the Lord. Your encounter with me is one-on-one, is not going to be one-on however many other people that are here. In church, God is warning us because he loves us. He knows the truth that when the most difficult situations happen and the hardest times come, either we're going to face it with God or we're going to face it alone. In the hospital, we may be surrounded by friends and family, but the moment we go into surgery, we're going to be by ourselves. But church, look, God will be there. And he desires to be with you. He desires to have that one-on-one connection with you, that one-on-one relationship with you. And look, for us, we can be fooled by the music, we can be fooled by other people, we can be fooled by the ambiance. But look, take that stuff away. And does your relationship with God still hold? And I'm not saying, once again, that community is not important. It absolutely is. And I think that that is a great starting off point for many of us. But it cannot be the end goal. It cannot be where you base everything in. It cannot be the finish line for us. We have to move past that. And we have to form our own relationship with the Lord. And for a lot of us, if we're... Let me ask you 
one way that you know that you can have a personal faith with the Lord, one way that you know that you have a relationship with the Lord, this is a good litmus test, is when was the last time you spent five minutes alone with God? When was the last time you spent just two minutes alone with God? No music, no sermon, no walking or doing any, just, just sitting, closing your eyes, and praying to the Lord. And look, if this is your first time doing that, maybe you've never done that before, it's okay if you don't know what to say. It's okay if you don't hear anything back from the Lord. Just listen. And if you don't hear anything, just wait. And I think that can be a really good way for you to start out your own relationship with the Lord. God is asking us to form a connection with him. He's asking us for a personal relationship with him. And it's not going to come through anyone else. It's not going to come through anything else. It's going to be you and him. A personal encounter with God, with Jacob, was by himself. Secondly, an encounter with God involves wrestling. Verse 24 and 25 says this, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, if I can make a confession, um, when I was younger and I first read this passage, uh, I thought that the, the image that I had in my head would change as I went to seminary, as I got a professional education and, and did all of that stuff. But... I can tell you that this week as I was preparing the sermon, all I could think about was WWE. All I could think about was actually wrestling because, in fact, this sermon really does talk about wrestling. I thought it was like some metaphor for like something really like profound, but it's like it's wrestling. <laughs> and it seems so ridiculous because to think that God would wrestle somebody, but here's the thing. What you don't really see in English is that in Hebrew, there's this play on words because it literally says that Jacob was alone and a man came and Jacobed with him. See, the word Jacob, it literally means to wrestle. And his mother names him that, we know, because all of his life, Jacob wrestles. It says that he wrestled with his brother in the womb. It said that he wrestled with Esau and with his father Isaac. He wrestled for the birthright. He wrestled with everything and everyone else in order to have the life that he wanted. And all of a sudden, out of all of the things that God could have done, out of everything that is imaginable, God comes down in the middle of the night and begins to Jacob, Jacob. And the reason why God would wrestle Jacob is because he is telling Jacob an important truth. That Jacob, you haven't been wrestling Esau. 
You haven't been wrestling this. You haven't been wrestling your birthright. You haven't been wrestling all of these other things. You have been wrestling with me all along. God meets Jacob here. And he wrestles with him here in order to show him that the center of Jacob's life was simply himself when it should have been God. And God is telling Jacob that the reason he is still unhappy, that the reason he is still running away out of fear, and the reason he is still doing all of these things, even though he has wrestled and won for everything that he has been trying to accomplish, is because he is trying to wrestle God out of God's rightful place in the center of Jacob's heart. This is going to be the story for a lot of us. He is going to wrestle us when he encounters us in order to take out all of the junk that is within our hearts. And he is going to place himself in the middle there. And for a lot of us, we're not going to even know that God was not in the center until he comes down and he wrestles us one-on-one. Let's think about the analogy of wrestling for a second. It requires a lot of things, but there's one thing that we know, and that wrestling is painful. It's not only painful during, but it's painful before when you are working out, when you are building your muscles, when you are working in order to wrestle. It hurts when you are in the midst of wrestling, and it hurts afterwards when you have the pain and the scars from the wrestling. Wrestling with God is going to be painful because God is going to show you the things that you have been comfortable with for so very long and he is going to tear those things out. Sometimes he's going to do that with a scalpel. Other times he's going to do that with a hammer. But know that God is doing those things because he loves you. And know that he is doing those things in that way because he knows what's best for you in that time. Look, the main thing is that you encounter God and that when God does come down is that he is going to remove that junk within our hearts and that an encounter with God is not always just going to be rainbows and and butterflies and, and really good things. Sometimes, yes, that's the case, but a lot of other times when an encounter with God is going to break you down It's going to show you how much of a sinner you are. And it's going to show you that the center of your heart is not God, it was something else, and that God has come to take his rightful place as king of your heart. Just as he has wrestled with Jacob, he will wrestle with us. And lastly, an encounter with God involves losing. Verse 25 and 26 if you can follow along, says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. For Jacob, what we know is that he was wrestling with God all night. And finally, at the very end, Jacob is exhausted, he is hurt, and he says something interesting. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. When we hear that, it can sound kind of strange, like, 
Are you asking for, you know, you already have the birthright, you already have the inheritance, what more could you? Jacob's is like this like punk kid, you know? But in actuality, when you read this further, it's not a blessing of prosperity. Jacob's not asking for a blessing of health or wealth. The reason you see Jacob is spiritually transformed here, the reason why Jacob becomes Israel here is because when he says that he wants to be blessed, he's saying that he wants to be blessed by knowing God more. He says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to persist in this. I'm going to keep on praying. I will wrestle all night, all day, for as long as it takes until you bless me with knowing more of who you are. How do I know this? Because the blessing is connected to verse 30 when he says, I have seen God face to face and I still live. For the first time, Jacob realizes that the blessing that he has been searching for is not going to be in the birthright, is not going to be in the inheritance, is not going to be in wrestling Esau or getting whatever Isaac has. It will simply be in knowing and seeing God. That was the blessing that Jacob had asked for. And that was the blessing that God gave him. Now, why would I say that this is an, that an encounter with God involves losing? This whole encounter is quite strange, and, and scholars, they say that uh, this is one of the strangest passages, not because of what happens, but almost because of how it ends. Because what it seems like is that Jacob ends up beating God. Jacob out-wrestles God. Because it says here that when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. It's mind-blowing because it seems like God seems to have lost against a person. But that's also not true. Because God demonstrates his power, in fact his overwhelming power, by simply touching Jacob and displacing his hip. He didn't need to pull it out. He didn't need to do anything drastic. He simply touched it, and the hip broke. And yet, what we know is that even in God's infinite power, he was still willing to lose so that Jacob would cry out, would cling on, and ask for blessing and for more of God. It was through Jacob's victory that his heart was now the Lord's. And it was through God's loss that he was able to win Jacob's heart. Now, why is this significant? It's because this story is simply a pointer to the future. It was a way for God to point to a time that was to come when he would ultimately triumph through defeat, when he would ultimately win through losing. For Jesus, we know that he wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he wrestled on the road to Calvary, that he was so anxious and and worried and, and wondering what was to come forward for him, that he was asking the Lord, 
that God would take this cup away from him. And finally, Jesus fought and ultimately allowed himself to lose on the cross in order that our hearts could be one. Church, God wants to meet us today. And he wants a personal encounter with you. And it's not going to be through other people. It's not going to be through the church music. It's not even going to be through this sermon. It's going to be a one-on-one encounter with him. He desires you. He has wrestled for you. And now is our time to go to him. Now, as I close here, I'm going to ask us to do something a little bit different. Without any music or anyone else, I'd like for us just to spend a couple minutes alone with God. Jacob encountered God alone. And for many of us, I just want to give this opportunity for you to go before the Lord. Just spend a few minutes just alone with him and just seek him. Give him your worries. Give him your heart. And if you don't know what to say, that's okay. Stay silent and listen. And if you don't hear anything, that's okay. Just wait. Don't switch off. And I'm even asking you who are listening here online as well. Don't switch off. Focus. Let this time be a time when you go before the Lord. So right now, let's go before God and pray to him. And after a few minutes, then we'll start our last song. Let's pray.